The series is based on the fact that all through the Bible, God is revealing himself to us as the bridegroom Messiah or our lover Savior. God is revealing himself to us as our bridegroom Messiah because he desires to give himself into an intimate relationship with us. And through the series, we've been looking at this deep longing in every one of our hearts, this deep longing to be loved. A longing so deep, a longing so fierce that no man or woman can fill it. Because we were created by God to enjoy Him, nothing less than God Himself as our lover Savior will fully satisfy this deep longing of our soul. We're doing this sermon series because one of the most important messages we need to keep hearing again and again and again is how much God loves us, how much He delights in us, how much He cherishes us, and how passionately He is committed to us. But sadly, we forget this all too easily. And as we close the series today, I think the most important question is this. How do we constantly remember and enjoy this truth and present reality that we are deeply loved by God? How do we constantly live in the joy that Jesus, Jesus himself, is our bridegroom Messiah? He is our lover, Savior. That's what we're going to be wrestling with this morning. Living like the bride of Christ. That's the topic with which we're going to close this sermon series. The passage we're going to be looking at this morning is, is a beautiful portrait of the wedding between Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, and his church, the bride. Allow me to read the passage. This is from a book called Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, chapter 19, uh, verses 6 to 9. It'll come up for us on the screen as I read it, read it for us. Then I heard... What sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, he added these are the true words of God. Let us pray. Father, we, we cry out to you. We need a present experience of Jesus Christ, our Bridegroom Messiah. Lord, as we close this series, we pray, Lord, through your word, would you, would you bring this truth? Would you bring this reality? Would you bring this, this love, this incredible love of God in Christ Jesus, would you bring it to bear in every one of our hearts? We pray, Lord, we pray,
pray that, that you will uh, break through our doubts, we, you will break through our unfaithfulness, you will break through our unbelief, and help us just rejoice in this coming wedding supper of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I launch into the sermon, allow me to make one observation from the passage. As some of us who are not Christians, we have a perception that the Bible is sexist. I've quite often had people ask me, why does the Bible portray God as male? Isn't that inherently sexist in itself, they ask me. Uh, some of us who are not Christians, we also have a perception that the Bible doesn't give, the Bible doesn't give women equality with men. Actually, some Christians may also have that lingering suspicion. That's a long discussion, but my quick response is that the Bible never treats men and women as unequal, but it treats them as different. Men and women are equal. That's the way God sees it. That's the way the Bible sees it. But very obviously, we are not the same. We are different. That discussion is for another day. But today from the passage, I do want to point out that at the end of time, when Christ comes again, when eternity begins, when Christ comes again to make this world perfect once again, gender will cease to be relevant. Gender will become irrelevant. As we can see from this passage, Christ will be the bridegroom and we will all be the bride. So whether we are male or female now, we will all be the bride of Christ in all of eternity. To this extent, gender will cease to matter. In the joy, when we face, when we experience the joy of this eternal union with Christ Jesus, gender will cease to matter. We will all be the bride of Christ. That's not the main point of the passage, but, but I did want to take a moment to help us see this. That said, let's get on with the essence of this passage. The Bible begins with a wedding. Adam, the first man, and Eve, the first woman, being united in marriage by God himself. But this marriage is a failure in the sense that Adam and Eve lose the perfect joy and peace and beauty of God's initial creation and they end up blaming each other for disobeying God and, and absolutely messing up his world. Ever since, no marriage has been perfect. No relationship has been perfect. Sure, Earthly romances is exciting, it's, it's fulfilling, but we all know that earthly romance and marriage is far from perfect. Uh, Aji and I, we've been married for almost 20 years now. We've, we've loved each other more than anybody else has loved us. But the truth is that we have also hurt each other more than anybody else has hurt us. Even this past week, both of us know, that we've loved each other more than anyone else, and we have hurt each other more than anyone else. This great loving of each other, and sadly also this great hurting of each other, is a present, continuous reality in every relationship. But as we all make do with mere earthly love, we have this great hope that one day, 
Christ himself will be our bridegroom and we will be his bride. The Bible began with this marriage that failed, but the Bible ends with a marriage that will never fail. The Bible ends with a marriage that will never, ever let us down. The Bible ends with a marriage that will never leave us wanting for more love. This is the marriage between Christ and the Christ, the bridegroom, and us, the church. That's the passage. This is the passage we're looking at today. And this morning, I have just one word with which I can summarize this entire sermon. The big question we are engaging with in this sermon is how do we live as the bride of Christ? How, we, how do we live in the present joy that we are indeed the bride of Christ? And that answer to that question can be summed up from one word in this passage. And that word is hallelujah. That's the word. And that might be a surprising answer to the question. But allow me, and that's what I'm going to do in this entire sermon. I'm going to take the sermon to just unpack the full meaning and the implications of this word, hallelujah, from this passage. So this entire sermon is an exposition of this one word, hallelujah. Let's look at verses 6 and 7 from the passage that we read. Then I heard, this, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Hallelujah. The wedding of the Lamb has come. That is what this passage is saying. That is what this passage is celebrating. I'd like to share two surprising aspects about this word Hallelujah. The word hallelujah is perhaps the most spoken but least understood Christian word. You know, when I first became a follower of Jesus, I heard everyone in church utter this word hallelujah. Nobody ever told me what it really meant. And, but but to, be, to be fair, it wasn't really hard to figure out what this word meant. And, you know, in just a question of weeks, you know, I kind of guessed figured that this word hallelujah probably meant praise a lot. And I guess that's, that's what you're intuitively imagining too. That's not wrong at all. This word does mean praise a lot. Hallelujah does mean praise a lot. But that's not, that, this word, that, that's not the complete understanding of what this word communicates. The word hallelujah is not just an exclamation of praise. It is also an exhortation to praise. The word hallelujah is not just about each of us praising the Lord. The word hallelujah is about each of us exhorting each other to praise the Lord. Let me show this from the Bible for us. Look at Psalm 113. It says, hallelujah, praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. So pretty obviously here the call is, Hallelujah is an exhortation. It's more praise ye the Lord and not just praise the Lord. Hallelujah does not just mean praise the Lord. It means, come on, let's praise the Lord. It's more an exhortation, not just 
an exclamation of praise. That's the first thing. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back and, and close all of this. The second surprising thing about the word, word hallelujah, it's going to really take you by surprise, is that this passage that we are looking at in the New Testament, this is the only passage in the entire New Testament that the word hallelujah is used. The entire New Testament, this is the only passage in which the word hallelujah is used. That might be surprising. Go, go, go and check that for yourself. The word hallelujah is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's used in the Old Testament, but nowhere else in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word hallelujah is used only in the context of the wedding supper of the Lamb of God. Isn't that interesting? So when somebody says hallelujah, we must immediately think about the wedding supper of the Lamb. Because that's the only context in which this word is used in the New Testament. Every, every time someone says hallelujah, we must immediately think about Jesus Christ, our bridegroom Messiah. And I think this word holds the key to the question we are trying to answer today. How do we remember to live in the present joy that Jesus Christ is our bridegroom Messiah? In this passage, we're seeing a great multitude exclaim, Hallelujah, come let us rejoice and praise the Lord for the wedding supper of the Lamb has come. We saw Hallelujah as an exhortation to praise the Lord, not just an exclamation of praise. So, applied in our context, what if we are able to whisper a Hallelujah into each other's lives in our moments of loneliness and unlovedness. In this passage, the word hallelujah is a specific exhortation to remember and rejoice in the wedding supper of the Lamb. Applied in our context, what, what if hallelujah becomes a word with which we exhort one another to remember to live right of Christ. Consider these two scenarios. Imagine two singles who, who get together to crib about how singleness sucks. It never happens in your city. Sure it does. And even as they are venting and, and, and cribbing, one of them suddenly captures in that conversation the true essence of the word hallelujah, which is an exhortation to praise Christ, our perfect bridegroom. Imagine in that conversation of sadness and, and grief and brokenness and disappointment, in that moment, one of those in the conversation just whispers a hallelujah in that conversation. Imagine how the entire conversation, the entire atmosphere, the entire perspective changes. Or imagine two, two married people uh, talking about how hard marriage really is. And in their sadness and in their brokenness, one of them captures the true essence of the word hallelujah, which is an exhortation to praise Christ Jesus, the perfect bridegroom. 
What if all of us in New City develop a new and biblically true soul vocabulary around the word hallelujah? What if together, we together as a church rediscover and, and feast on the true meaning of this word hallelujah? Can we as a church build a common soul vocabulary around this word and around the idea of hallelujah to help each other remember that Christ is indeed our bridegroom. Aji and I, we've been talking about marriage uh, to quite a few singles and, and married couples over these past few months. Aji and I, we've been talking to each other also about, about marriage. And in many of these conversations, uh, Aji has been sharing one specific reality of this broken world. And she's been telling people that we will have to endure seasons of loneliness, both in singleness and in marriage. She's been reminding people that there is loneliness even in marriage. Singles don't assume that marriage is the end of loneliness. It is not. If you really want marriage to end your loneliness, if you really believe that marriage is indeed the end of loneliness, you should not be looking at the earthly marriage with whoever, but you should be looking at the eternal marriage with Christ Jesus, our bridegroom Messiah. Because it is only the wedding with, our, with, the, with the Lamb of God that can truly end our loneliness. And that's what it means to live like a bride of Christ. There are many kinds of singles. Don't worry, I'm not just going to pick on singles. I'm going to talk about <laughs> I'm going to talk about many kinds of married couples as well. You know, they'll, they'll bear, bear the brunt of it later. So let, let me start with singles. There are many kinds of singles. The, the first category is, of course, the single and looking category. All of us know what this means. But as the years go by, this category evolves and becomes a single and, and desperately looking category. That's very relatable. And then if a few more years goes, goes by, it becomes the single and sulking category. We've gone through this. I'm not making fun of this. I'm not trivializing it. I'm talking about the real pain of loneliness. The real pain of loneliness. And then there's a single and, and whining category. And I, I, there is no one like this in your city. This, I mean it. This is not a joke. I really mean it. Uh, I've, I've seen the only conversation this category of people can have is, is their singleness. So they're constantly whining. Praise be to God. There is no one like that here in your city. And, and then there is a single and, and sucking category. I mean, some singles absolutely suck at relationships. Either they come on too strongly on mess up, or they are just too awkward to make a move, or, or they just freeze, and, and they don't know what to do when somebody else makes, makes, makes a move. So some of us, let's face it, I mean, I, I, think of, I can think of some of my early days. I know what this means, right? It's, it's, yeah, I, the pain is kind of, I'm beginning to feel the pain a little bit. And, and then there is a the single and successful category. Single and successful people may not realize it, but they can be quite intimidating. 
the men or women you love are just too scared to make the move with you. They, they, they want to, they, they desire you from afar, but they dare not get too close to you because you just seem so sorted. You, you seem so successful, you seem so accomplished. And, and they begin to believe that, that nobody can ever be good enough for you. And actually, maybe you yourself also believe nobody can ever be good enough for you. The problem with single and successful people. Now, sometimes that leads to loneliness as well. It doesn't matter which category of singleness you fit in. Or, or maybe you're not in any of these categories. Maybe you are a category in yourself. It doesn't matter which category we are. We all need someone to whisper the vocabulary, the soul vocabulary of hallelujah to us. I am speaking to all the singles in your city. Can we be a community that speaks hallelujah into each other's lives? Can we be a community that will keep reminding each other to keep rejoicing in Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, Messiah? The last category of singles I, I want to talk about today is single and happy category. This category exists. It, they are not unicorns. They are real people. It is possible. It is possible to be single and truly happy. And, and the Bible celebrates that. In fact, the Bible celebrates the kind of happiness a single who is truly committed, devoted to Christ Jesus. The Bible kind of really elevates that happiness even over married people. It is perfectly okay to be single and happy. That call is not for everyone, but some people choose that. And we want to affirm that. But that said, while it is perfectly okay to be single and happy here on earth, in eternity, we will all need Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, Messiah. I told you I'm going to talk about married couples as well. So here's, here we go at them. Let's, let's look at what loneliness looks like for married people. There are many categories of married people. The first is the married and happy, but still not satisfied. It's hitting home. <laughs> what do I say? What do I say? Married and happy, but still not satisfied. Something missing. Is there something? The other category is married and burdened. I've seen people, and we all know that people who get married just feel so burdened. They feel they aren't ready for it. And there is the married and fighting category. Some of us some of us were born boxers. It's just that till we got married, we had nobody in the ring. But the day we got married, we have someone to fight with all the time. That's a married and fighting category. That's also a married and angry category. Now, married and fighting and married and angry are very different. The married and fighting, they are at it. The married and angry are too afraid to fight. But they're angry inside and they've kind of bottled up, bottled up, bottled up, and one day there'll be a nuclear explosion. And there's a married and broke. 
even figure, you can't figure out personal finances, that's real. Uh, there's another very extremely interesting category. It's called the married it married and pretending to be happy category. It's real. And then there is the married and missing category. These men or women have married, but they have checked out of marriage. They, they are just, 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 just so loving with their careers or whatever it is, they've just checked out of, the, out of marriage. There is the married and lusting category. It's probably more true with men, but not entirely uncommon among women. There is the married and sexless category. The lack of sex is not just a lack of physical pleasure, it's, it's a reflection of the lack of emotional intimacy. It's real. It's real in marriage. You just have to read Cosmopolitan to find that out. There's a married and longing for independence category. There is married and separated. There's married and widowed. You know, statistically, 50% of all married people will be widowed. You know, you may not really think about it much. But it is statistically possible, it is not possible, it is statistically absolute that 50% of all people will be widowed. How, how are we going to cope with that season of, of loneliness? There's also the married and looking for purpose beyond marriage category. It's true of, 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 of uh, couples you know, whose kids have grown up or who are empty nesters. Uh, it's also probably more true for women who are homemakers when the kids are growing up. If there's a married and looking for purpose beyond marriage category. Can't you see there are so many different shades of loneliness even within marriage. Marriage and loneliness is not a disease of singles. It's a problem. It's a, it's a problem of fallenness, even with marriage couple, married couples. And it is harder, it is perhaps harder to endure loneliness in marriage than it is to endure loneliness in singlehood. And it doesn't matter which category of married couples you fit in, we all need someone to whisper the soul vocabulary of hallelujah to us. And I'm speaking to the married people in New City. Can we be a community that will remind each other to rejoice in Christ our bridegroom Messiah? Can we speak this beautiful word of hope, hallelujah, into each other's marriages? Hey guys, I'm not in any way being cynical about marriage. I'm not in any way undermining the beauty and joy and fulfillment we can all experience in marriage or even in singleness for that matter. But I am reminding us that we have to speak hallelujah into our marriages and into our singleness. There are times when we need to whisper a hallelujah into each other's lives. There are times we have to scream hallelujah into each other's lives. Hallelujah. Rejoice for the wedding supper of the Lamb will come. Rejoice your bridegroom will come. Rejoice your bride. You will be the bride. True friendship also demands that at times we even have to shove the hallelujah into someone's throats. 
We know that. True friendship demands that. True friendship gives you the permission to do that. Because we all know that we can be so stupid and unbelieving at times. We, we all know that how we can forget God, so easily forget how much God loves us. And we need each other to remind us of this beautiful reality that no matter what, Jesus Christ is our bridegroom Messiah. This is the beauty of the local church. This is the beauty of being a community that is deeply committed to each other. And we've seen this in, in, in UCD. We can develop a soul vocabulary to help each other. Both singles and married couples need to remember and rejoice that ultimately we all need the love of Jesus Christ, our bridegroom Messiah, for all the other loves in our life to actually blossom. Let's read a, a portion of today's passage one more time. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. This multitude is crying out hallelujah for two reasons in this passage. We just looked at the first reason. The bridegroom himself, he is a reason. The first reason is the wedding of the Lamb of God, the wedding supper of the Lamb of God. So we can look at Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, Messiah, and cry out, Hallelujah. But there's also a second reason the multitude is crying out, Hallelujah. The first reason is the bridegroom. The second reason this multitude is crying out, Hallelujah, is the bride. The bride is the second reason. The, the, the multitude is crying, Hallelujah, because the bride is also ready. It says, fine linen, bright and clean, has been given to her. She did not earn this. It was given to her. This is beautiful. The second reason they cry hallelujah is that the bride is ready. She has been made pure and perfect. She has been made without blemish. She has been made absolutely beautiful. And the bride is absolutely worthy to be married to the creator of all the universe. Jesus, I can assure you, is not going to marry an imperfect bride. He's not going to marry a flawed bride, but he is going to marry a perfect and ravishingly beautiful bride. In other words, the bride of Christ, us, we are going to be made perfect. We are going to be made blemishless. Every single flaw, forget others pointing out your flaws, every single flaw you see in yourself is going to be wiped clean. And Jesus himself is the one who is going to wash away all the blemishes of his bride. We see this assurance in Ephesians Chapter 5, verses 25 and 27. Ephesians is a book in the New Testament. 
Let me read that out for us. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as the radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The second reason the multitude is crying out hallelujah is that the bride has been made perfect. We have been made perfect in Christ Jesus. Whether you're single or you're married or maybe you've been in a relationship that is broken or messy or maybe you are in a relationship that is broken and messy. Whatever your status is, every one of us have gone through seasons where we have felt ugly and unlovable. Every one of us. Every one of us have been through seasons where we have felt utterly miserable about ourselves. We have felt cheap. We have felt we are not good enough. We have all had moments where we have hated ourselves of what for what we have become. We need each other to remind each other of the second reason for hallelujah in these moments of darkness. As ugly as we may be, as, as, as undesirable as we may feel we are, we will be made perfect and without blemish and we will be beautiful enough and worthy enough not just for any earthly man or woman, but we will be made worthy enough to become the bride of Christ Jesus. And we so need to speak the second reason for hallelujah into each other's lives. We need as a community to build the sole vocabulary of hallelujah, what this word really means. We have to remind each other that no matter how ugly and undesirable we may feel and how, we, how ugly and undesirable we may actually be, in both cases, Christ is going to make us beautiful enough and perfect enough to be his bride. And that, that is why we cry hallelujah. That's the meaning, the full depth of this meaning, the meaning, full depth of meaning of this word, hallelujah. I want to close with just one reason we can absolutely believe and trust in the great hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And that and the reason for the hope is not just Jesus calls us his bride, but how Jesus made us his bride. How Jesus made us his bride. This is not a God who says from afar, I wash you clean. You're made okay. Don't worry, it's okay. I'll, I'll accept you. I'll, I'll put up with your faults. I'll tolerate your faults. No, that's, this is not the God we have. This is a God who came down to earth and said, I will die for your faults. I am perfect, but I will give my life as sacrifice to make good all of your faults. This is a God who demonstrates 
his commitment to make us beautiful by stripping himself of all that was beautiful in him and giving it to us. And by taking on everything that's ugly in us upon himself. No earthly man, no earthly woman is capable of doing this. And the reason we can put our trust in this hope is the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. The word hallelujah reminds us of the bride price that Jesus paid. We, we saw that in the earliest sermons in the series, that, that in, the, in the Jewish times, the, the groom will have to pay a price for the bride. And Jesus paid the bride price of his life, dying on the cross, rising again from the dead, as the bride price with which he has redeemed us. And we can put our faith and trust on the bride price that Jesus prayed, paid himself to redeem us. Let's pray. Lord, we, Spirit of God, we welcome you. We welcome you, Lord. Lord, these are, are the very words of your gospel. And we beg you, Holy Spirit, would you come now, even in this time of worship, would you come and, and bring to bear this truth, the weight of the beauty of this truth, Lord, would you bring to bear in our hearts. As we spend a little more time worshipping, as we close the sermon series, Spirit of God, we beg you. Spirit of God, we cry out to you. Would you come and, 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 and help us feel the weight of the beauty of this word, hallelujah, in our hearts. Come, Lord, help us to experience in a very tangible way this bridegroom, eternal bridegroom, the ultimate lover of our soul, loving us with all that he has. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.